There, do you have any idea what you're listening to? London Philharmonic? It's Venus. Huh? Venus. Why not? We've bounced signals off the moon's surface. There's no reason that Venus shouldn't radiate impulses. I don't mean the static. Can't you hear it, the other thing? What other thing? Listen to it, Paul. Listen to the voice. Hello and welcome to Media Geek. This is your weekly look at the world of grassroots and independent media, as well as a critical examination of our media environment. My name is Paul Reese Vanell and I'm your host. On today's program, celebrating 10 years of indie media and announcing the farewell of Media Geek. Stay tuned. Well, I, I guess I can't start with uh, with that lead-in without getting right to the meat of the story here. Um, it is with uh, mixed feelings tonight that I announced that uh, we're... We're going on into the final stretch here for the Media Geek radio show as we go to air on December 3rd, 2009, recording live here at WNUR-FM to be listened to uh, at our affiliate stations the week of December 7th. Uh, It's been seven years, six months, seven years, nine months, the Media Geek radio show has uh, been on the radio airwaves somewhere, and... uh, (laughs) And indeed, well, don't put me in the ground yet. Don't put it in the ground yet. But uh, we're coming into the final programs here. Um, And it's a decision really only just arrived to very recently, but that uh, with the end of the year, we'll bring the, uh, the last Media Geek radio show. So, of course, when you uh, make such an announcement, you thank everyone for listening. And I have to thank uh, the affiliate stations that came on board over the course of these uh, last five years. You know, when I um, when I started the program, I never really thought about there being affiliate stations. I started the program at uh, community radio station WEFT, Champaign-Urbana, Illinois. Where I was a uh, volunteer, very involved volunteer from the years 1994 through 2008. And while I always thought the program would have some broader appeal, um, and I and I put the program online from the very beginning, uh, I didn't really have syndication in my mind. And it was only uh, when I was contacted by KRFP, Radio Free Moscow in Moscow, Idaho, saying, hey, we'd love to put your program on if we can get it weekly, if we can get it consistently, and it's set up for us to broadcast it. And so we uh, it was long about, I want to say 2004, that I uh, decided to get the program into a much more consistent weekly uh, format, and uh, KRFP started carrying it, and then stations started joining on, and really without any real promotion uh, on my part, except for occasional posting it to email lists, um, using the uh, Radio Indie Media website and occasionally using the Radio for All website, uh, and finally got up to a full 13 stations, including stations in Canada. I always wondered uh, how popular or how much uh, the Canadians enjoy the program, since a lot of it deals with U.S. media policy, but including great stations like CHMA in Sackville, New Brunswick, KJUM in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and CKDU in Halifax. 
Nova Scotia. Um, you know, it's been a, a fantastic time here doing the program, but in the entire time, it's been a um, it's been a volunteer enterprise. You know, taking both the time for production, arranging guests, and getting everything together. I've been very lucky here uh, at WNUR. In the uh, the, st- the show has only been originating here for about a year, but I've had um, great help uh, from WNUR from WNUR Northwestern students. Starting off with Andrew Gotthelf, who joined the program for uh, three quarters, uh, beginning last uh, September of two thousand eight. And then uh, Eric Yarnell, who's been at the controls uh, since March, I believe. Is that correct, Eric? Yeah, because I, I subbed for you one time and then uh, kind of joined and after then joined that. in. Yeah, so it's been great to have that assistance and help and the extra energy. Uh, not to mention, it's been great to, to join up here at this fantastic station where I also am the advisor, uh, helping to helping the helping the uh, students here keep the station on air and running well. But it's getting to the point where I, I don't find that I have the time any longer, really, uh, to continue to dedicate to this weekly commitment, um, especially at 9 o'clock as it, uh, as it airs live uh, here on WNUR. And, you know, there's been so much change in, in what I cover uh, here on the show. Going back to 2002, uh, you know, just seven years in a lot of ways feels like uh, a, a whole nother world to go. Um, 2002 was really, you know, pretty much nearly the world before blogs, the world before YouTube, the world before Twitter, the world before Blackberries and iPhones. Uh, it was a time when a lot of people still did not have broadband internet. It was a time uh, before radio was completely devastated, commercial radio that is, uh, before digital television, before HD television. Uh, and it was also a time when discussion of media policy and regulation was still not quite in the forefront. And not to say it's really on the absolute forefront, but there's been a real sea change in in how a lot of the general public views these issues. And part of that is attributable to the great work of organizations like uh, Public Knowledge, which predates the Media Geek Radio Show, the Media Access Project, which as well, uh, the Consumers Union, uh, Consumer Federation of America, and of course the organization Free Press, which has come into existence since then, which all have worked to uh, really educate people about the policies both in our broadcast media, our print media, and our, in our online world that affect our ability to receive good communications and communicate effectively. Arguably, in 2002, there was much less discussion of this on a radio, and, and frankly, there's much less discussion online, on MediaGeek.net. Uh, in many cases, I felt like I was the only person discussing a lot of these issues in, in a regular uh, you know, daily or semi-daily uh, forum uh, as I started my blog there. Uh, and since then, though, it's really grown. And I feel like I have a much harder time keeping keeping at the forefront, keeping on top of these issues um, in a way in which I would hope that uh, it continues to be a really, uh, a really good source to listeners. But, you know, also what inspired me to do the program back in 2002 was my involvement in independent media. Um, if we count my getting involved in in college radio back in 1989, 
I've been involved in independent media for 20 years now and been involved in radio for 20 years now and always drawn to the left end of the dial, drawn to the underground newspapers, to the zines, to the underground and anarchist bookstores and to the places where people are creating their own media, whatever it may be, creating their own projects, you know, to the proverbial blades of grass sticking up through the sidewalk, the pavement of the mainstream. And that world has changed so much, too, with the advent of the Internet. Maybe less so since 2002, but really the ability to make, create, and, and distribute your own media online has changed a lot. It's become something less esoteric with the rise of YouTube and other platforms. So something which, and even Facebook, which goes from uh, something which you had to be relatively knowledgeable about and have perhaps more expensive equipment to something which now just about anyone with a cell phone can do. And it, it's a real sea change and that I've been able to watch. And on the one hand, it's been amazing and sort of satisfying. And on the other hand, you know, there's this uh, little romantic part of me that, that pines away for the time when it was more unusual and, uh, and somewhat more underground. And so at this uh, seven-year, nine-month point, um, you know, I find I'm not able to keep up with the news and policy discussions like I used to, and I find less time to be able to even go and arrange the interviews and to get things together. And I would rather end the program, I think, still really doing what I always intended to do rather than wait until it it kind of slowly grinds down and becomes a, uh, a pale imitation of itself. Um, it's just a half hour a week, you know, as a podcast and, and, uh, and elsewhere. And, uh, you know, with the rise of podcasting even, there's there's a lot more programming out there, including including programs that, that do take a look and take a critical look at the media and at uh, our ability to communicate. And so it is also a satisfaction. I look at this and feel like, you know, I can exit. I can, I can discontinue doing Media Geek. And it's not as if in some ways uh, we're losing a lot. And and I, and I don't mean that to be self-deprecating. I just mean that uh, there's so much more content out there now, and that really does uh, attempt to to cover these areas, these great and important issues. That uh, in a lot of ways, I am a lot less alone in doing so. So we're going to continue to do the program through the end of December. Um, since the decision was only made in time for the WNUR programming meeting this past Tuesday, uh, which would determine the schedule for next quarter, I haven't laid out my plans. I'm hoping to have some old friends on, perhaps do a little bit of a best of, uh, go through some of my favorite portions, some of the interviews that I particularly enjoyed, um, some of the, the things I'm really glad that we had an opportunity to discuss and of course, uh, certainly interested in hearing from anyone, any listeners with any thoughts or any, if you have any favorite parts of the program or uh, any comments yourself, send it to me, Paul at MediaGeek.net, or you can uh, give me a tweet, twitter.com slash MediaGeek, and maybe later on tonight we'll be taking your phone calls, 847-866-WNUR, 847-866-9687. But one of the things that, as I mentioned, is my involvement in independent media, which was one of my uh, one of the things that really got me 
thinking about doing Media Geek. And, and, and so the one side, is I've, as I've just covered, was wanting to bring you know, news and some understanding of all of these policy decisions and, and legal decisions, which greatly affect our ability to get communications, receive good communications, bring that to the airways. But I also wanted it to be a celebration of, of independent media of people uh, making their own media um, individually and collectively, uh, sometimes in opposition to the mainstream, sometimes as an alternative to a mainstream, sometimes just because they can. And one of my big inspirations was and is the indie media movement. And the indie media movement this week celebrates its 10th anniversary and for those of you who, who may not be aware of this movement, um, it was really sparked with the so-called battle in Seattle, November 30th, 1999, which was a massive street protest, organized street protest against the World Trade Organization and the perceived and, and I think in many ways real uh, way in which this trade organization operated behind and does operate behind closed doors um, with very little public view outside the reach of democracy, outside the reach of citizen groups, of public groups, and wielding power and is in a lot of ways even extra governmental. Um, it's safe to say that the Seattle police and other officials were completely unprepared for this type of uh, large-scale protest along with the um, civil disobedience which went along, uh, largely shutting down the city of Seattle uh, on November 30th, 1999. But one of the things that happened alongside that was this real recognition by many activists that the story of what was happening in Seattle may not get told accurately on the evening news, in the newspapers, and on the uh, then fairly nascent websites, web news sites. And if they wanted people to know what was really going on, whether there was police violence or maybe to counter stories of uh, protester violence that might not have been true, they would have to tell the stories themselves. This was born the first independent media center. In Seattle, I was not there. I was in Champaign-Urbana listening <laughs> to broadcasts, checking indymedia.org, I-N-D-Y media.org, uh, obsessively uh, those days uh, in and around November 30th of 1999. I did know many people who went. And, you know, it was, it was it, the creation of indie media was, was interesting uh, because it was really a coming together of folks who had been uh, independent and grassroots and community media activists in a lot of different places, whether it was in radio or public access television or even some very early Internet uh, ideas. But what indie media brought that was so unique and so innovative that we now take it for granted was really one of the first websites set up for people to be able to upload and share audio, video, photos, and news stories to be a, what is now called a user-generated content site. Many years before it, anyone had conceived of YouTube. And as well, there was a physical center 
where people could go and use the computers there at the uh, actual independent media center in Seattle, the very first one, to bring in their digital cameras or perhaps even film, get it developed and scanned and posted online without any editors or filters. With bulletin boards, with blogs, with uh, Twitter, where we've become very accustomed to this idea of some unfiltered communication online. But the 1999 web at that point was still very much one way, where if you had a personal website, you might post to it, you might create it, and then post to it somewhat regularly. But there didn't tend to be this back channel so much. People maybe had guest books, as they were called, uh, where people could leave notes. But aside from dedicated bulletin boards, there really wasn't this notion of self-publishing that we take for granted now. And, and indie media really pioneered it using open source software built for this purpose. But uh, perhaps more eloquently than I can put it, I want to read a piece here written by Norman Stockwell, a friend of mine who is a staffer at uh, Community Radio WORT in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I believe he's the operations coordinator. He's a longtime independent media activist, uh, a man I admire and respect quite a bit for his dedication for many more years than I in independent media. And he recently wrote a piece for the online uh, Madison Capital Times, uh, formerly a print newspaper, uh, really celebrating the 10 years of, of indie media born in Seattle. So now I'll read uh, Norm Stockwell's piece. An important anniversary passed fairly quietly this month, the birth of IndieMedia.org, and a sea change in the way journalism is conducted in Seattle, that anniversary was commemorated with a conference and other exhibits and events. In 1999, the Internet was still in its youth as a source for news. Many newspapers were beginning online editions, but most were offering only online postings of articles from their print editions. Radio stations were just starting to experiment with streaming, and the word podcast would not be invented for another half decade. Meanwhile, in Seattle, people were getting ready to host the first ever World Trade Organization meeting on U.S. soil. The WTO was seen by many as a means by which richer, more developed nations would be able to exploit the resources of poorer countries with impunity. It was seen by many labor and environmental organizations as a way to legitimize the race to the bottom of wages and environmental protections. It was in this context that plans were made across the globe to confront the trade negotiators in Seattle. People came to Seattle in November 1999 with many agendas, but an agreement that the majority of the world's people did not have a seat at the table. For many in the U.S., it was the first time they'd heard phrases like globalization from below. For many activists from the global south, it was the first time they became aware of allies among everyday working Americans. Alliances like the Teamsters and Turtles, Union members and young anti-globalization environmental activists would form the building blocks of nationwide opposition to the trade policies of the Clinton and Bush administrations. But another group also assembled in Seattle, independent media activists. Traveling to Seattle to cover this emerging anti-globalization coalition movement was a core group of dedicated independent media activists. Some had been a part of the Countermedia Center at the 1996 Chicago Democratic National Conventions. Others came from various alternative media organizations like Free Speech TV, Community Radio, and the growing micro-broadcasting movement. 
all stood on the shoulders of a grand tradition of alternative press services, like Liberation News Service during the Vietnam War and well before. A media revolution was created in Seattle using open publishing software developed in Australia. Servers hosted locally, a space provided by local progressive business people, and dozens of computers, mini-disc recorders, and small video cameras purchased with donated funds. Using the tools of corporate globalization and expensive recording equipment and high-speed internet, with a few easy lessons in how to format and post audio, video, and text, these citizen journalists were able to create a globalization from below distributing news to a worldwide audience by and about the people being most affected. On the first day of the WTO protest, November 30, 1999, now referred to as N30, the Indy Media website claimed over 1 million hits, more visitors than CNN. The reason was simple. CNN was still echoing the press releases stating that rubber bullets were not being used against the demonstrators while Indy Media journalists were grabbing up handfuls of rubber bullets off the ground, videotaping them, and putting the news out to the world across the internet. By the end of the week, over 42 police and security agencies had been involved in the street actions. Reporters from commercial media outlets had been tear-gassed, and the meetings had been disrupted both outside and inside as delegates from the Global South realized that they had allies and supporters in the streets of the Seattle. The face of media had been changed forever as well. Over the next several years, indie media grew across the globe, peaking at over 200 local indie media sites and centers. Now they're about 175 with content in 20 languages. The model of indie media is a basic one. Citizen or activist journalists contributing audio, video, and text to an open publishing newswire. But each group formed independently and locally. The Indy Media Center in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, formed a nonprofit that was able to raise funds, provide server space, and gather equipment for other indie media startups. And that was an Indy Media Center I was involved in. I'll talk about in a moment. In Madison, the Indy Media Center's restructuring, but reached its heyday when an old grocery store downtown was converted to a buzzing media center during the National Conference of Mayors in June 2002. Many of the things Indy Media did in its first half of this decade are now considered mainstream. In 2002 and 2003, Norm ran a website built on the indie media experience called Iraq Journal with independent journalist Jeremy Scahill and filmmaker Jackie Suen, reporting live from Baghdad before the U.S. invasion. At the time, someone asked us, oh, is that a blog? We said, no, this is a news site. What's a blog? Today, with over 175,000 new blogs created annually, the blogosphere is a force in American politics, and it was the popularity of blogging that caused Time magazine to make you its person of the year in 2006. In 2004, former MTV host Adam Curry began the first successful podcast show. Today, all the major media outlets and many smaller ones offer podcasts of their audio and video content. Video blogging was popularized by Rocket Boom's Amanda Congdon herself a Northwestern graduate. And today, many newspapers are sending their reporters out with small video cameras to vlog their interviews. Sites like YouTube and Flickr are used by everyday people to tell their own stories and voice their opinions. The instant updating of indie media's newswire during intense moments of news on the street reminds, remains a striking premonition of the Twitter feeds now produced by every major news outlet. To paraphrase Voltaire, if there had not been an indie media center, it would have been necessary to create one. As we celebrate the 10th anniversary 
of the founding of Indy Media in Seattle. All of contemporary journalism should look back at the road that led us to where we are today. The elements of participatory journalism, people given voice to help shape how their stories are told. This is truly what democracy looks like. Be the media. That was written by Norman Stockwell, a freelance journalist and operations coordinator for WORT-FM in Madison, Wisconsin. He covered a WTO protest in Seattle in 1999 and was there for the anniversary events. And uh, as I uh, made as uh, notice as an aside, um, I was part of a founding group of about 20 people or so who started the Urbana-Champaign Independent Media Center in Urbana-Champaign, Illinois. And uh, we started that effort um, inspired by what happened in Seattle uh, in 1999 and the way so effectively news from the ground got out, to the extent to which I really believe it forced the hand of mainstream news to uh, be sure that they were out on the streets, not merely taking the official press reports and what they found on the streets is that their own mainstream uh, reporters were themselves getting tear gassed and hit with rubber bullets by the police who were acting uh, without much regard to whether you looked as if you were a average citizen reporter, protester, or a supposed bomb throwing anarchist. And uh, inspired by that, a group got together uh, in early 2000 to begin planning to figure out how an intermediate center could be in Urbana-Champaign. And, there, and already, you know, just in the, uh, in the shadow of, and 30 intermediate centers went up all around the world uh, to cover various protests, um, including one in Prague shortly thereafter and one in, in uh, Genoa, Italy, where unfortunately um, police uh, very brutally killed a protester um, there and raided the independent media center that was put together in, in Genoa, Italy. Um, and, and, and it was an interesting time to be able to put together, you know, a truly community-based independent organization. And uh, sort of because it is insulated in a in a, what are small college towns, uh, home of University of Illinois here in central Illinois, uh, you know, there was still much news to be reported on the streets, not being picked up in either local television or newspaper news. Um, but at the same time, somewhat under the radar, able to uh, put together resources to actually incorporate as a nonprofit and create an organization that, um, you know, is its own unique take on indie media. Um, and that organization is having uh, its own celebration coming up on December 5th. Uh, celebrating 10 years of indie media. And uh, your banner Champagne, IMC, uh, had its official kickoff September 26th of 2000 before there was a place to call home, before there was even a website, and uh, became an actual space in downtown Urbana, Illinois, in January of 2001. Um, and it... It was that experience that inspired me to want to continue to be able to explore independent media in all of its facets, not just necessarily activist or leftist, um, but in its many different forms of people wanting to make media themselves. Um, and now seven years and nine months later, 
We're getting towards the end of this particular chapter in my exploration of the topic, and I'm glad you've continued in for the ride. And that brings to a close this edition of Media Geek. I'll be back in one more week with more news and views of our media environment. In the meantime, check out Media Geek online, mediageek.net. Radio shows at radio.mediageek.net. Have any comments about the program, please send them to me, Paul, at mediageek.net. The Twitter feed is at twitter.com slash mediageek. Just four more shows to go. Don't miss them. Collect them all at radio.mediageek.net. Thanks for tuning in. 